Welcome to another edition of Profiles, an in-depth look into the music, artistry, lives, and legacies of the musicians and artists who defined a uniquely creative era by breaking boundaries and finding new influences. While they not only ushered in social as well as political change, but also created immensely popular legacies that have truly stood the test of time. Charles Pignon is a producer, writer, and as archivist for the Sinatra family estate, essentially our historian of all things Sinatra. Charlie is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Sinatra Treasures. He's also the author of Frank Sinatra, The Family Album, and Sinatra 100. He has produced numerous Sinatra albums and box sets, and he co-produced the 2011 television special, Sinatra Sings. Charlie began his association with the Sinatra family back in 1984 when he took the reins of the Sinatra Society of America, which was at the time the Frank Sinatra Fan Club. He is currently the Senior Vice President of Frank Sinatra Enterprises. We welcome him back to celebrate the 60th anniversary of Frank Sinatra's unforgettable 1960 album, Nice and Easy. Thanks for having me, Maggie. Always a pleasure. Now, Nice and Easy was first released by Capitol Records in July of 1960. It spent nine weeks atop the U.S. charts, spent 86 weeks on the charts in total, and won gold record status for sales of over a half million records. The album was nominated for multiple Grammys, including Album of the Year, Best Male Vocal Performance, and a Best Arrangement nomination for Nelson Riddle. The album was one of many legendary collaborations with arranger Nelson Riddle. Tell us, Charlie, who was Nelson Riddle and why was he so highly regarded and how Sinatra came to work with him? Well, when Frank left Columbia Records in 52 1952 and then he signed with Capitol records and started recording with them in 53 the story is that alan livingston is the one that said you should work with this new arranger we have who has just done some things with nat cole at the time nelson was doing a lot of ghosting for les baxter but nelson actually had written the arrangement for nature boy wasn't credited on the original recording but everybody knew he wrote it Frank, uh, being the loyal person he was, wanted really to stay and work with Axel Stordahl, who had done about 90% of his arrangements during the Columbia years, during the 40s. And Frank had been friends with Axel. They both were on the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. So after the first session, when Axel did a couple tunes, then he started working with Nelson Riddle. And by the time 1960 came, they had done you know some seminal albums, The Wee Small Hours, Only the Lonely, songs for swinging lovers and nelson and frank at this point in their career i think were at the apex of their careers there were other arrangers that frank worked with almost as much such as billy may and then once he left capital and started his own label reprise nelson was contractually obligated couldn't work uh, put his name on some things because he had an arrangement with capital records so frank branched out and started working with other arrangers once he got to reprise such as neil hefty johnny mandel continued to work with Billy May and Nelson Riddle. But the majority of the albums that he did at Capitol Records are Nelson Riddle, Billy May, or Gordon Jenkins. So at this point in 1960, they'd been working together for almost a decade, and they probably were very comfortable with each other. And they, I think they bought their game up to another level when they worked together. Most definitely. And we began the show with the original track, because there is a, b- a bonus track of Nice and Easy. And 
But this, nice and easy, the title track was a last-minute substitute. And we'll talk a little later about what happened to the song that got replaced. But for now, tell us what song Nice and Easy replaced and why. Okay, so you got to remember that three sessions for this album were done March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of 1960. At that, once December came, a few months later, Frank was recording both for Capitol Records and starting to record Ring-a-Ding-Ding in December 1960 for his own label, Reprise, which would not, it wouldn't be released till the next year. But Frank was already in the mode of, he had not recorded for Capitol, took several months off. They came to an agreement where he would fulfill contractual obligations and finish some albums and some singles, and then he was free to start his own company, Reprise. So at this point, he was already planning to start Reprise. The concept for this album was... He wanted to take songs that he had done prior at Columbia with the Axel Stortle arrangements and sort of give them a new updated feel using Nelson Riddle and the sound that people are now associated with him at Capitol Records. Also, in those days when you recorded and switched companies, record companies, there were re-record restrictions. So they may say to Frank, if you recorded uh, this title, a specific title like She's Funny That Way, at Columbia, well, you have to wait five, whatever the term they gave, five, six, seven, eight years before you can record it again if you're with a new label. So at this time, he had been away from uh, Columbia at enough time, and the idea was to do all the standards that he had done that he really liked and have Nelson Riddle give them a breath of fresh air. They did these sessions, as I said, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. What happened later was he then, in April, he did a session and Nice and Easy was going to be a single. And I think one of the producers there or the people at Capitol Records said to him after they heard it, hey, this song sounds like it's going to be a hit. Of course, nobody knows what's going to be a hit or not. But why don't we tag this on, make this the title track of the album that you're going to put out? And so Nice and Easy, when you listen to the album, all the other songs on the album are ballads, except for Nice and Easy, which is mid-tempo. So I think at that point, I, I have a feeling prior to this, if this was a couple years before, like 57, 58, Frank probably would have fought the people at Capitol and said, no, I want to keep the album. The original title was The Nearness of You, and I want that to be the title, and we're not going to change it. But I think at this time, he knew that he had won the battle with Capitol Records, was going to start his own label in a couple months, and it wasn't worth fighting for. One of the reasons he did leave Capitol was specifically because he said that he did not want marketing or account executives making creative decisions for what he was recording. So I think at this point he just said, fine. They titled it Nice and Easy. They tagged that on to the album. They took off the nearness of you, which you've mentioned, but not by name, which you'll play later, but which didn't come out until a later date on a compilation album at Capitol. And, uh, they, at this point, Capital was right. Nice and Easy became a, a big hit, was released as a single, anchored the album, and it was a song that stayed with Frank all through his career. I mean, he was doing it into the late 80s, up until almost when he stopped working. It was always a, a crowd favorite, and people loved the song. And it also helped Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who at that time, they were working with a guy named Lou Spence, and if you look at the original credits, you'll see uh, Alan Bergman and Marilyn Keith. That was her name before she married Alan. 
and they worked with Lou Spence, and they also did a, a few other songs for Frank, like Sleep Warm and Old MacDonald, etc. But they wrote Nice and Easy and became a huge hit, and, and the album was very popular, as you mentioned in your introduction, how long it stayed on the Billboard charts. I would say now it's still one of the most popular Sinatra concept albums from the Capitol era. Yes, it's definitely one of my favorites. And after reading the liner notes, it's also one of your favorite albums. But I I have to tell you, Charlie, I don't know if I'd ever heard this particular version of the Hoagie Carmichael uh, song that Nice and Easy replaced, The Nearness of You. and uh, But that was released just not on this album, correct? Right. It was put out on a Capitol. When Frank left uh, Capitol and started recording Reprise, there was actually a period there where there was a legal battle because Capitol just flooded the market with Sinatra albums at a cheap price, discounted them because they were trying to hurt the new la- his new label, Reprise. And they would also come out with compilation albums where they'd put the singles that he did or stuff to compete with the new output that he was putting out with Reprise. But there's no doubt about it. It's a beautiful vocal, The Nearness of You. It's a wonderful arrangement. It's a great song. And I think it never sounded better than it does on this LP and on this CD. I think Larry Walsh sonically did a fantastic job. I mean, we've been using Larry for 30 years because of the work he does. But listening to this album again, it sounds like you're sitting right in Capitol Records when Frank was recording this. And anybody that knows Frank's career knows that he loved to have invited guests and an audience there when he recorded they'd set up chairs in the studio and it actually he thought helped his performance having people there not just the musicians and not just engineers but yeah the nearness of you is a wonderful song a great performance by frank would the album has been as popular as it is if that stayed the title and nice and easy was just a single that i don't know but i do have to say that nice and easy just a seminal album and as you mentioned it's one of my favorite albums because When I was president of the Sinatra Society in 1984, and I started college in 84. So between 84 and 88, when I would be have a break from college, I would go on the road and travel with Frank. They would let me go on the road, either Atlantic City or Las Vegas. And that is one of the albums that in one of the conversations I had, and most all conversations I had with him centered around his music. But that was a conversation I had with him. I had bought him. Uh, Mobile Fidelity had just re-released the album, and I bought it for him to sign. There's actually a picture of it in mm-hmm. in the liner notes of the book. But we discussed that, and he he told me, yes, nice and easy, great opener. Um, I'm paraphrasing what I wrote in the notes because I actually had notes from that meeting with him from all those years ago. But he mentioned how nice and easy was a great opener, and uh, he really enjoyed that album very much. And And some of the other songs in there, too, like I've Got a Crush on You, would stay with him throughout his career. He would just do them, uh, uh, you know, in performances over the years. Well, he's 44 years old, and he later that year would be 45. But his voice is absolutely in perfect form, I think. I mean, I know Frank's career from the very early, of course, with uh, Dorsey up until the very end, when I was uh, friends with pianist Bill Miller and got to see Frank live towards the end of his life in the 1990s, 25 years ago or so. But this reissue 
is just absolutely extraordinary. And it is the 60th anniversary of Nice and Easy. It is a new stereo mixes of one of the classic uh, Sinatra albums. It uh, features an array of uh, sort of a reimagining of ballads that, as Charlie mentioned, he had previously done with Columbia. This, of course, for Capitol in uh, the summer of 1960. And I did want to get to and play The Nearness of You because hearing this, Charlie, for me, I, I was like, when did I ever hear this? I don't recall. It took my breath away. It's absolutely so beautiful and so moving because I I just have a special love for that song written by the great Hoagy Carmichael and I believe Ned Washington wrote the lyrics. Let's take a listen to The Nearness of You from this beautiful reissue, 60th anniversary of Nice and Easy. It's not the pale moon And we just heard a beautiful, haunting rendition of The Nearness of You. Charlie, I wanted to talk a little bit further about Frank Sinatra and Nelson Riddle. They were, to say the least, a prolific musical, you know, partnership. Why do you think the dynamic duo of of Frank and Nelson was so incredibly special? Well, as I said, I think they both respected each other and their musicality, and I think when they worked together, they brought each other up to a, a certain level. I think Frank probably, if you read, we have a quote in there in the book where Frank says, Nelson's like a tranquilizer, calm, slightly aloof, and there's mm-hmm. great depth in, in the music that he creates. They were not social friends like I think Frank was more with Billy May or with Don Costa in the later years. It was more of a professional relationship. They respected each other very much. And I think that they both had the same sense and sensibility of the music. And Frank used to say, um, not derogatory-wise, and Nelson would often repeat this, that Nelson was the best secretary because when they would do these albums, usually Frank and Bill Miller and whoever the arranger was, would Frank and Bill would pick the songs then they'd pick the keys and then they'd sit down with the arranger and Frank would say, this is what I would like. Even like you know, with I've Got You Under My Skin, he told Nelson in a classical sense what he wanted the orchestration to sound like. And he always said Nelson took copious notes. And when he got to the session, it was exactly as he had envisioned it. And Nelson translated what Frank said musically with the orchestra. So I think there was a simpatico there that they both had. The dynamic of the personal relationship, like I said, Billy May would tell me that a lot of times when he would get together with Frank and Bill Miller, they would have a great time. As you know, they all like to party and like to have a good time. And and he would say Frank would start if there were 10 or 12 albums on the song, we'd do five or six. He'd give me notes and then he'd say, oh, do the hell what you want with the rest of them. And they'd (laughs) just carry on after that. But I, I think it was more with the albums that he did with Nelson. I think at a certain point he knew how important these were, how important they were to him, and he took extra special care. And that's why these albums, not just with Nelson, but with Billy May and Gordon Jenkins from Capitalier, are probably, without question, the greatest collection of American 
great American songbook uh, concept albums of the 20th century, and they'll never be anything like that again. There just can't be because, first of all, there's not a singer like Frank Sinatra. There's not arrangers like Nelson Riddle or Billy May. And there's not musicians like Bill Miller, Al Viola, Gene Cipriana, people who played on these albums who worked as musicians for a living. And you got to remember in those days, those guys would maybe do two or three sessions a day, maybe do a television, a radio show. And a lot of them would also work at night. So you could sustain a living being a professional musician. And of course, like any other job, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I just don't think this can ever be replicated. Just take away the talent, but just the dynamics of it. I'm hoping that in 50 years or 60 years from now, there are people that could look at these charts and even play them. You know, looking at the state of the music industry today, where a lot of it's synthetic or electronic, and people don't even record together with an orchestra. They do tracks separately and put everything together with Pro Tools. Um, I The Sinatra body of work, uh, you know, will just be around as long as there are human beings on earth because it just moves people. But it's great that we have it, but it's also sad in a way that nobody's really doing this kind of art anymore. Well, it all came together so beautifully. And uh, these tracks on uh, this album are just some of my favorites. So let's take a listen right now to one that was, of course, a, a mainstay of Frank's as part of his song list uh, throughout his life, I've Got a Crush on You. Can you talk a little bit about this song and, and this particular like beautiful arrangement by Nelson Riddle? Yeah, this is a gorgeous arrangement. And this, this parallels with sort of one for my baby because Frank had recorded this at Columbia. And, but when Bill Miller joined him in 1951... This is a song that they would do in performance in concert. So they had been doing it over the years, just like One For My Baby. When an album came on that Frank thought it would fit on there, like One For My Baby, they actually sat down with Nelson Riddle. Bill played it, One For My Baby, and then Nelson Riddle wrote, augmented that with some orchestration. And we've released um, from the on the Only the Lonely, we have the temp track that Bill and Frank did and gave so Nelson took an acetate home that night and the next day they got into the studio and he had the orchestral part written. I mean, I assume the same thing happened here with crush on you because besides the original recording, which is so iconic, which you'll play, there's a bonus of the session actually from that we have on here that was on the tapes and you'll hear Frank and Bill, when they do a rundown, talk about this. And Frank says, well, you need to play something here in these bars. You can't leave it blank. People think the record's over. That's because <laughs> when they would do it on stage, Frank would m might say a little aside. People might clap. There might be noise. So this is a song they had been doing for years since they were working together. And so it was very comfortable and it was a great fit. And again, this is another song, as you mentioned, that besides the recording, and, and I do think this recording is, if you look at talk to a lot of Sinatra fans, this would be in their top 20 of Frank's recordings. But he did this in the, up until the 90s, till he stopped. He would do it with Bill Miller at the piano, and Bill would play the verse, and then they'd go into the chorus. So I believe it was both a, a favorite song. It's the Gershwins, it's Nelson Riddle, and it's Sinatra. What more can you say? Let's take a listen to I've Got a Crush on You, these tracks that you're hearing are from the new stereo mixes of one of the 
classic Sinatra albums, Nice and Easy, the 60th anniversary. How glad the many millions of Annabelles and Lillians would be. And we just heard I've Got a Crush on You, Frank Sinatra, the 60th anniversary set of Nice and Easy, uh, new stereo mixes, and just stunning. Charlie, there's such a a list of uh, beautiful songs on this album, classics, you would say, from the Great American Songbook. What are a few of your favorites? And we did want to mention one of our dear friend Alviola's favorites. Yeah, well, one of my, my favorites on this album is You Go to My Head. Again, it is just a stunning vocal, yes. a wonderful arrangement of a great song. And I don't think when you hear Frank sing this, I mean, you that's it. There's yes. nobody <laughs> else. You don't want to listen to anybody else sing it. It, it is just wonderful, wonder, a wonderful track and something every time I hear it, I'm drawn to it. I just love it. And that's one of my favorites. Another favorite is Try a Little Tenderness. And this is a song that's that's had a a great life. I mean, everybody, Peggy Lee, Frank Sinatra, all the singers from that era recorded it. And then I think it was Otis Redding in the late 60s did another version of Try a Little Tenderness, so it became popular again. But you mentioned our mutual friend, Al Viola, and, uh, you know, both Al and Bill. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think of them because I'm surrounded by Sinatra music or music and just the memories of them, the years that we were together and talking about music. But Thankfully, a lot of those nights and you were there after going to Chadney's or somewhere with these guys, we'd go back up to Bill or Al's house and sit and talk. And a lot of times I would turn on a tape recorder and do interviews. So I had them for the Sinatra Society. And I remember I've archived a lot of those. And I went back when I do these albums and I look to find if they discussed it. And I remember Al telling me and and the notes are, uh, you know, verbatim in the booklet, but Al had to miss one of those sessions. And so Al Hendrickson, another guitarist, filled in for Al. Mm-hmm. But Al talked about how for years him and Frank loved Try a Little Tenderness and they would do that on the road and what a thrill that was for Frank and Al um, because it was just guitar and voice. And Al said, um, I'll tell you how much that song mean, meant to Frank. When he retired in 1971, he did a concert and he specifically picked these songs that he would do that evening that reflected that were special to him and reflected his career and of course he does try a little tenderness with just al on the guitar so i think al was always very partial to this album i think in talking to him the later years he wished that he didn't skip out on one of the sessions that's right (laughs) work was so plentiful then that these guys just did what they did and i think al was doing a tv show or working with julie london something that he thought he couldn't miss and Frank wasn't upset about it. And so, but yeah, uh, try a little tenderness. So you go to my head is probably one of my favorites and uh, try a little tenderness is a, is a favorite of mine and also was a favorite of alveolas and Frank's. The beautiful alveola who, yes, I think about daily guitarist uh, extraordinaire and just a beautiful human being. But when I was reading about this session and what we just discussed and you said about Al getting a sub for, you know, one of the days, imagine you're that busy of an artist that you can you, – you have to get a sub for a session that you have with Frank Sinatra. 
<laughs> That's yeah. I mean, it's almost incomprehensible today. It, today it's incomprehensible. It's just unbelievable <laughs> because, like I said, those guys they were working at full steam and they would do sessions. And a lot of the Sinatra sessions, almost all of them out here in LA were done in the evening. Frank like recorded in the evening because he thought his voice sounded better there. He was not a morning person. Anybody that knew <laughs> knows about his career and neither were any of these guys. So oh, I think sure. they all tell us the chance, but when they were working, you know, Frank didn't in those years, you have to remember Frank didn't tour like he would in the later years. So if Al had a gig with like Julie London and, you know, or he was a guitarist with um, Hatta Brooks and people that were doing or came into LA to do a concert at a night, I don't think it, it upset Frank that Al took a night off. There are certain times where on the only the lonely sessions, Al was not there when they first did the first pass of guess I'll hang my tears out to dry. And Frank, I think said, no, put it away and then waited till they got Al and, and re-recorded it because Al could, play that intro with the guitar with Frank singing the beginning. So yeah, he, he, they certainly, those guys loved each other and you can hear it in the music. Let's take a listen to one of Al Viola's favorites from the album, Try a Little Tenderness. Well, I wanted to say this, Charlie, before we run out of time, is that when you look at the discography of Sinatra's recordings in the 50s and 60s, you have to be struck by how often his albums were released in those days. You don't see that anymore. Two albums in 1956, four in 1957, three in uh, 58 and 59, and especially with all the films, I believe there was 20 in the 1950s alone uh, that he was featured in during those years. How did Sinatra keep up such a busy schedule? It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's when you look at it, <laughs> reflecting on it, it's unbelievable. He just, I think he had a tremendous amount of energy and he had a passion for the music and for his career. As, as you say, besides doing these albums would take a lot of time in preparation he was a major movie star. I mean, Frank made 60 movies throughout his career. And just his, if you look back at it now, anybody would take his movie career and would be considered a major superstar. So besides the music, plus in those days, so the 50s and 60s, he's still doing radio. He's still doing television. He's doing mainly some small concert tours like he did in 57, some overseas travel, but if you wanted to see Frank, you really had to go to either Atlantic City, the 500 Club, the Sands in Las Vegas, or the Fountain Blue in Florida. And you got to remember those engagements when they were doing it, which is different than Las Vegas today, they'd be there sometimes two to three weeks. I mean, Frank would play there almost for a month and Florida for like 10 days or two weeks. So they would go there, they would rehearse, then they would do the engagement. And then I think he, you know, Frank was always a stickler with time. He was very punctual. He was not relaxed with time. He, I think he planned things out. But again, I think it was more of a passion he had, especially for the music, to get this done and get it done right. But you're absolutely right. It's You look at it now, it's amazing for me. I, people always ask me, is there anything new? Is there anything we find? I say we constantly find things. We'll see that he popped up on a TV show or he was on a radio show or Nancy Sinatra put out a book called An American Legend, which is like a diary of almost what he did every day for four or five decades 
just career-wise, and it's astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing. But what's more astonishing about it is the quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no lack of quality just because he did a lot of quantity. So it's the quality is there. These are timeless albums. Let's take a listen to another track from the 60th anniversary of Nice and Easy, Frank Sinatra. And this is one that you mentioned, Charlie, and it's one of my favorites. And it's called You Go to My Head. Well, Charlie, we're coming to the end of the hour, and I did want to close the show from the session takes, which is a bonus feature of Frank Sinatra, Nice and Easy, this beautiful 60th anniversary reissue. And let's talk about the title track and the session takes. It's really, Yeah, it's, well, let me just say that if anybody buys, the CD has the three bonus tracks on it. Yes. Because there's a lot of time. The LP we put out as it was originally, it's got a new mix by Larry Walsh. Sounds fantastic, but you don't have the bonus material. But we do have a little of the nice and easy session on that. And I was then very privileged to know Marilyn and Alan Bergman, and they are legendary songwriters. But this song was sort of in the beginning of their career, They were working with a man named Lou Spence. Last year, we did put out an album called Frank Sings the Alan and Marilyn Bergman Songbook. They've written What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life? They've written so many great songs, but they were so excited because Frank invited them to the actual session. So they were at the Capitol Records session. They saw this take place. They still, uh, 60 years later, have wonderful memories about being there. It's in the liner notes, or you can even Google. They've done a lot of interviews online, and they always mention Nice and Easy and how Frank helped them with their career. And they stayed friends with Frank up until he passed away. So let's take a listen to Nice and Easy from this beautiful 60th anniversary edition of Nice and Easy. And you'll hear some banter. And this is from The Session Takes. Nice and Easy. Uh, Rolling again. E, three, three, six, five, oh, take eight. <laughs> The jury said one more. (laughs) You better get me while you can. (laughs) Isn't that better, baby? Charlie, I wanted to uh, thank you so much for joining me. And I did want to ask you what's coming up next from the Sinatra vaults. Like everything else, we had a lot planned for this year, which now got pushed into next year because of the COVID crisis. And hopefully if things get back on track in the next couple months, there'll be some more releases coming out next year. Same vein as this stuff. I'm always looking in the archives for session material, alternate tastes, etc. And on the seminal albums, we usually release a deluxe edition. So we're working on a couple of box sets. We're working on a couple of deluxe reissues, like in the vein of nice and easy. But again, it's all, I don't want to whet anybody's appetite and mention a title or something because there was one big project we were working on that I had a scrap because it just, with the COVID thing, it was, it was a, a 10 disc set, not able to do. So hopefully it'll come out in a couple of years, but a, a lot more on the horizon. We're also working on a musical that will open in the West End in London, hopefully in 2022, and then it'll come to Broadway And there's a lot of other exciting things. Always in Sinatra land, we always find more and there's there's always an appetite for it. And I appreciate having this platform. You've been a great champion of 
Frank Sinatra and the music, and uh, you've always been very supportive, and I appreciate that, Maggie. Well, I love you, Charlie, and we, uh, we've been friends for a very long time, and we were lucky to know two of uh, Frank's favorite musicians, and that is Bill Miller and Al Viola, and so we dedicate, as always, the show to the memory of Bill and Al. So thank you so much, Charlie. My pleasure. Thanks, Maggie. Hope to see you in person soon. Okay, bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Profiles. And please join me next time for another in-depth look at the legendary musicians and artists who changed the trajectory, opened our minds, and continue to inspire us. I'm your host and producer, Maggie LaPique. Special thanks to my producers, Jerry O and Andrea Love. Special thanks also to engineer Stan the Man Mizrahe.